Do you want to just take that again? Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. <laughs> Fuck my drag. I'm Charlie Sohn, a screenwriter and journalist. I'm Agnes Reese, a pop singer and songwriter. And this is Mysteries of the Euroverse. On this episode, we're talking about how a Eurovision song gets chosen. First, we deep dive into what a country's national selection process says about their politics and what they want to project to the world. Second, we talked to 2023 entrant Andrew Lambrou, who had a particularly surprising road to representing Cyprus at Eurovision. Finally, we sit down with Daily Show correspondent Troy Awada, who helps us figure out why countries make the decisions they do in a game we're calling National Not Quite Final Answer. We take a look behind the scenes at all the scandal songs and queens. So come along as we traverse all the mysteries of the Euroverse. All right, we are back with another episode of Mysteries of the Euroverse. Today we're taking it a step before Eurovision. You know, how do these countries pick their entries, the national selections? 52 countries have participated over the years. Yes. Some of those countries have been different iterations of the same... land areas. What's been going on in Europe over the past <laughs> 70 years? Yeah, now, each year, somewhere around the vicinity of 40 actually compete. This year, it's 37. The EBU sets certain requirements for when the song actually arrives at Eurovision. Right. What happens in the national selection, they don't meddle in at all. You get a lot of variety. And the way that a country selects its Eurovision Act is a reflection of what that country wants to project to the world. How do you choose what represents you? Yeah, each of the differences really does say something about who these countries are as nations and particularly what the opinion of the government is. Because the people who decide the process are national broadcasters licensed by these governments. We can see how the different tools of selection can be used by governments, by populations, to project a desired character of a nation through the act that they select. First, we're going to look at the San Remo Festival. It's colloquially referred to as San Remo, but I think technically it's the Italian Song Festival. It started as a radio competition in 1951. In 1955, it moved to become a televised competition a year before Eurovision starts. And it was the foundation that Eurovision was built on. What's interesting about San Remo is how the way it functions within Italy reflects Italy's relationship to Eurovision and to Europe more broadly, right? I think if you speak to most Italians, they would not even talk about San Remo as a Eurovision national final. Right. Italy has spent long periods of time not participating in Eurovision, and yet San Remo goes on. The winner of San Remo is offered to go to yes, Eurovision. Yes. It's like you get first refusal. Yeah. And if you're too busy, that's fine. Yeah. So I think this like reflects a relationship to music where Italians have pride in their own music, their own festivals. They're happy to go to Eurovision and win. Um, But the idea of sending a song to Eurovision is about sharing Italian culture with the world. That manifests itself in how San Remo 
selects its acts. Good demographically calibrated jury, popular opinion in Italy, and a press jury. It's Italian on Italian on Italian. Which is actually my sandwich order. Uh, <laughs> what Magnus is saying by Italian on Italian on Italian is that you would think in a national selection that you're turning to your country's people to select a song, right? However, that is not the way that everybody deals with this. Yes, we're moving to Sweden. Melody Festival. The, the festival of songs is roughly what it translates to. It is so popular that when Sweden tested out televoting in 1993, the telephone network in Sweden collapsed. The power of Eurovision. Unable to communicate through the power of music. <laughs> Overpowered by music. <laughs> Overpowered by music. <laughs> Contrasting it to San Remo, Melody Festivalen is a national selection to win Eurovision. The biggest tell is that they have an international jury. We are talking about a jury that is made up exclusively of experts from other countries that are in Eurovision, right? So essentially designed to mimic the jury vote that an act will face when it reaches Eurovision. With all of that said, I think it would be unfair to talk about the rules of Melody Festivalen as being the most extreme towards just give me a Eurovision win, right. right? Sweden actually reserves a certain number of slots in Melody Festivalen for Swedish language acts. Um, and they require, I think, that every song either has a songwriter or an artist on it that is Swedish. Even Italy has done away with that requirement. In talking about whether Melody Festivalen is designed to win Eurovision or San Remo is designed to generally promote Italian culture, we're essentially talking about pretty quotidian kind of reasons to hold a music festival. But particularly when you get into authoritarian governments, you will see dictators use their Eurovision selections to change what the world thinks about a country. Right. And this kind of brings us to this idea of how open and transparent is your selection process and how much do you let your people be a part of that? So we've talked about the scandal surrounding Franco before. Franco in 1968 bribed juries to win and then host the festival. So that's what we've covered previously. Right. But uh, Franco's meddling into the process of Eurovision it starts earlier that year. So the song that Spain selected to represent themselves was in Catalan language. Despite the song being called La La La. La 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 <laughs> is uh, Catalan for we have to secede. Oh, yeah. No wonder he had to change it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what Franco did was he swapped out the singer, translated to Spanish, and here we go, a different person representing the country. It's a tale as old as time when it comes to countries' treatment of minority languages, minority cultures, etc. Franco is like, we are Spain, we speak Spanish. Nationalists need there to be one idea of the nation. Right. So that was in 1968, right? This is a thing that has continued to happen throughout Eurovision's history. A perfect example is Belarus, right? So Lukashenko, yes, not a great guy, famously. That's on his business card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This story takes us back to those halcyon days of 2020. Belarus had a open national final, right? It was broadcast on television. And the Belarusian people selected a band called Val. In the ensuing year, protests erupted around Lukashenko's government. And Val, the band selected in 2020, 
endorsed Lukashenko's opponent. In 2020, obviously, the competition didn't happen. The Eurovision made a rule that they couldn't re-participate with the same song. However, many countries decided to send the same artist or hold a new competition. Right. Lukashenko chose door number three. And Charlie, what was behind door number three? Fascism! Yay! Uh, (laughs) The Belarusian broadcaster decided to launch a surprise internal selection process for their 2021 act. And weirdly enough, Val did not get through. They did not get through, but Galaxy Zemesta did. Their first song that they submitted to Eurovision was I'll Teach You. Maybe it's a reading comprehension song. Oh. Math. I've always had trouble with math. A song about the planets. I'll Teach You was aimed at the protesters. And how do you teach protesters? It's not by standing up at a blackboard, I will say. (laughs) No, it's by singing at Eurovision. Yes, (laughs) exactly. The EBU got the song I'll Teach You and was like, maybe not. Maybe we don't do this. Now, I think that's great. Again, it was rejected because the song was quote unquote political which I think they could have been a little bit more specific, like a song by a bunch of jackbooted thugs who want to like crush protesters is like bad on the merits. The EBU's main problem with the song is that it had a message. <laughs> so the EBU rejects the song. And surprisingly, Belarus says, totally get it. They did keep Galaxy's Mesta. And they came up with a new song. It's fascism. Oh, no. (laughs) Door three again. So predictably, the EBU again said, maybe not Belarus. And so Belarus did not compete that year. And Lukashenko's project of using Eurovision, manipulating the selection process, was a failure. Right. Some authoritarians are much better at this game. We talked about the band Tattoo, which presented as this lesbian couple who were dating, and there was a huge controversy about them publicly stating that they were going to kiss on stage. Yes. Which was shut down by the EBU. Now, that was an internal selection. Right. This was 2003. Putin had a mission to sort of look very Western palatable. Yes. Uh, A mission he has left. If you talk to people who were in Moscow around the time, they will talk about the fancy tasting menu restaurants that were opening up. You are talking about a Russian culture that is oriented towards proving that it exists within this global capitalist framework, right? You have a lot of rich oligarchs who are spending a lot of money on luxury goods. All of this is to say, tattoo was very important to Putin's project at the time. Right. In the context of Russia entering the global capitalist order, tattoo was proof that they were a liberalizing country. Now, fast forward. We've moved from a Russia that is trying to tell the world we are progressive, we are capitalist, we are part of this European project, to Putin's idea of a greater Russia, right? Like re-stitching together all of these countries that Putin believes are really both culturally, ethnically, territorially their Russia to him, right? right? So Putin invades Crimea in 2014, right? So now in 2017, Ukraine is hosting the competition. So when Russia is picking their entry, they know where this artist is going. This artist had visited Annex Crimea. She also was not a lesbian. 
Not a lesbian. Not a lesbian. No. So another internal selection process, the artist Julia Samoylova had traveled to annexed Crimea. This was illegal by Ukrainian law because it was stolen territory. Again, this was Putin using his national selection process to send a message to the world. It's just the message had changed. Totally. There is one element of Putin's normally very precise thought out strategy of what Eurovision acts he sends that still makes zero sense to me, right? If you remember last episode, you heard Manisa's Russian woman. We're talking 2021. So this is authoritarian Putin. This is Putin who is really advertising that there is one kind of Russian, Russian woman, was a feminist anthem. She also is ethnically Tajik, which is, again, an ethnic minority within Russia, and nationalists need one idea of the nation. Now, this was an open process that was organized by the Russian national broadcaster. So in a way, you could just be like, well, that makes sense. Like, Russian people like the song. How did it even end up as a contestant? How did it end up as a contestant, one? And how did they allow a fair vote process to happen where they nominated her? Putin does care a lot about fair votes. That is true, (laughs) which is why he gets 90% of them every time. Exactly. You know what I mean? Also, there are many conspiracy theories about this and how this could happen. Yes. And I think that that actually transitions us perfectly. Thank you, Magnus. Into our, oh, she's so No, proud. that was exactly Look what I was going to do, but then you did it. Russia selected an artist who is so obviously opposed to Putin's vision for the country. But you see these insane conspiracy theories about why Putin probably wanted her for some reason. And this is where I had a bit of a revelation. And this brings us to our next section, which is we like to think of trust coming from process design. You started this episode talking about how Americans, very much on our brain these days, is how How do you legitimately select someone who represents you? And we like to talk about this idea of transparency, this idea of democracy dies in darkness. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. The more open we are, the more people will trust the results of whatever process is designed. I think Eurovision offers an interesting example as to why that is not true. It really just has to do with how do people feel about their national broadcaster and their government? Poland's 2023 national selection has a mix of jury and televotes, just like Eurovision. Blanca overwhelmingly won the jury. However, the runner-up, Jan, was hugely favored by the televote. For context... The political party, Law and Justice, that was in power in Poland at the time, Jan's performance was at the very minimum queer-coded. Law and Justice is a right-wing party. Yes. Law and Justice's vision of Poland does not have... Jan in it. Jan in it. And these public broadcasters, to a certain degree, are they're tied to the government by design. Now, in most countries, there is a real effort to make sure that that does not have a political affiliation. Right. Um less of a worry for law and justice. Yes, there was a gap between the televote and the jury vote. Fine, that happens a lot, right? But I think it was the interaction between that and the public broadcaster, TVP, was known as a propaganda outlet. And what I will say that's interesting in talking about whether 
a more open process can garner trust is what's happened since we recorded our interview with Blanca is that there were elections in Poland and there was a new prime minister and he fired all the heads of TVP <laughs> and they refused to leave. <laughs> and they took TVP off the air for a while. And because of all of the controversy, I would assume, have moved this year to an internal selection process. Now, there's a way of like looking at that and being like, well, they moved from an open process to an internal process. And believe me, the law and justice people make this argument. Transparency, as much as I value it and think it's necessary, is not actually going to do the thing that a lot of people think it does. I think the transparency is still important. It actually makes you able to have discussions. Values-wise, I totally agree with it. There was this big move in this country post-Nixon People don't trust government anymore. How are we going to get people to trust government again? We are going to show them more and more what goes on behind the scenes. We're going to move from backroom deals to select candidates. We're going to do primaries now. The Congress is on (laughs) C-SPAN. Like, you see how messed up this shit is, (laughs) Right, right. Think about like an internal selection versus like a nationally aired final with 10 artists, right? You can be upset at your country's internal selection, Mm -hmm. but you're not looking at it going... Obviously, it should have been this other person. And also because I know how this was specifically selected, I know what went wrong. They gave too much power to the jury. There is a question sometimes to go, are popularity contests the best way to pick as well? Yes. Sorry, that was my answer. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) The breakup of Yugoslavia was a bit of a slow break apart. And one phase of that was this coalition government between 2003 and 2006, Serbia and Montenegro. In the three years, 2004, 2005, 2006, that they, as dual populations, with two different public broadcasters, tried to send acts to Eurovision, it was, I believe the Serbian-Montenegrin term is shit show. Uh, In 2004 and 2005, There were highly controversial picks that came out of a very complicated mix of jury and televote that was trying to balance equal power, despite the fact that those populations are are radically different in terms of size. How do you balance that? How do you get a result that's legitimate? The problem is, once again, trust and legitimacy doesn't come from process. And uh, what's interesting is actually in 2006, it came to a head and Serbia-Montenegro actually didn't send an act because the Montenegrins chose an act that the Serbians, like literally in the studio audience, started booing. When we talk about Eurovision, we are not just talking about Eurovision, right? So this disaster happens. They can't agree on an act. They don't send one to Eurovision. And shortly after that same year, 2006, Serbia and Montenegro vote to become two separate independent nations. You actually see the crack up of a country played out via music on the Eurovision stage before it actually happens in the real world. Right. Where we are right now in the timeline of the 2024 competition, a lot of fans will refer to this as the national selection season. And like the bigger the fan, the more national selections you add to your repertoire of what you're watching and paying attention to. Already this year, we are seeing some of the themes that we've talked about in this section play out in real time. Iceland's national selection process is a national final. This is happening against the backdrop of a big push to boycott Eurovision if Eurovision refuses 
to kick Israel out, right? Yep. So in talking about how you use your national selection to advance a view of the world that you have, the first push was like, maybe we drop out of Eurovision. Now, they just announced the competitors in their national finals. And one of those artists is Palestinian. Even if they don't pick that artist, it's already something that everyone who's a Eurovision fan is aware of. Yes. This is something that has hit international media. And again, Eurovision is at the core of politics. (laughs) That's kind of a good way to put a nice little bow. So we should throw it over to our interviews. Our first interview is Andrew Lambrew, who grew up in Australia, but represented Cyprus. And... It's interesting to see how that journey from Australia to Cyprus ended up and speaking to what their national selection process is like. Yes, absolutely. No spoilers. You have to listen to the interview. Correct. Don't Uh, leave us now. (laughs) (laughs) After that, we are going to be talking to Daily Show correspondent Troy Awada. He's going to stop by and play a little game we're calling National Not-So-Final Answer where we're going to explore some of these moments of controversy, some that we've mentioned in this segment, but a lot of which that we haven't. Before we get to our interviews, though, let's hear a bit of Andrew Lambrew's Break a Broken Heart. I see you for who you are, but you can't break a broken heart. You lift me up We are back with Andrew Lambrew, whose Break a Broken Heart represented Cyprus and garnered the country its best results since Fuego. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your relationship to Eurovision growing up? I was born and raised in Sydney, Australia. And when I was a very young boy, around five, six years old, my grandmother would have Eurovision on every year. And we'd watch it and we'd cheer on, of course, Greece and Cyprus. I was in awe of Eurovision. My grandmother, she would make jokes and she would say, Andrew, one day you'll be on that stage. And I was like, "Ah, we'll see. And it actually happened. So then talking about that Eurovision experience, can you tell us how you came to represent Cyprus? Yeah, so it all came out once I got this very miraculous email from Cyprus telling me that they were interested in me representing Cyprus. You had no context for this, right? I literally woke up one day and I was like, okay, wow, is this even real? Let's start, let's do some digging. There were some negotiations and stuff like that. Like I live in Australia, I have to be in Cyprus um, a fair few times for preparations and stuff like that. So there was a lot to work out, but it ended up being the most smooth process. The people that I met and the team that I had were just amazing. You are used to having your team a certain amount of like creative control. And there is this other voice in the room, right? Because you're representing not only yourself, but Cyprus. I felt like myself throughout the whole experience. They made that happen. It it even comes down to the clothes that you're wearing on the stage and the clothes that you're wearing in interviews. All that stuff is important for an artist. And when you feel comfortable in your own skin, you 
are given the opportunity to perform to the best of your abilities. And they really made that happen. Before Cyprus, you auditioned to represent Australia with the song Electrify. Yeah. Can you tell us if it felt different representing Cyprus? I got the opportunity to participate in Australia Decides. I think that things work out for a reason. There's, it was special trying to represent Australia. Then this opportunity with Cyprus came along and Cyprus embraced me so much. And also my relationship with Voyager, I really developed a strong relationship with them through Australia Decides. So to go to Eurovision the year after, representing different countries, but being friends, like it was just special. Some people have like grumblings around whether Australia should be part of the competition. As mentioned, we're in America and this year was the first year Americans could vote with the rest of the world vote. Can you talk a little bit about the expansion of Eurovision? Eurovision was created to unite Europe. And I think that we've gotten to a point now where Eurovision unites even more than just Europe. Eurovision brings so many people together and it has so such a big fan base now, like, you know, America, Australia has followed it very closely for a very long time. That is the most important element of Eurovision in this world that we live in today with all these different things happening and crazy things happening. At the end of the day, this is a music contest that brings the world together. It just, it does so much good. And I think that the more people that can be impacted by that good is better. <laughs> and I think a lot of audience members in America might not realize that when you watch Eurovision live in Australia, it's not the most convenient time of day. It's about four or five in the morning. Perfect Great. time for a party, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of dedicated fans here in Australia. Yeah. It's beautiful. You've got a very pop sound. But in thinking particularly about representing Cyprus and your heritage, do you see being Greek Cypriot having any effect on your music? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Yes, like it, it does influence what I do. Even in the studio when it comes to working out what sounds to use, what drums to use, there are Greek drums and even melodies, you know, different scales and stuff like that. I would love to collaborate with many Greek artists, Cypriot artists, you know, Eleni Ferreira would be fantastic, Argyros. I would be amazing. Uh, Andromachi, she represented Cyprus last year. Like Evangelia, she's fantastic as well. I, I, I love that the experience of representing Cyprus in and of itself was a connection to your heritage. Even the, the trip that you took, I think, pre-Eurovision. I went and visited the villages where my grandparents are from. When I went to see where my family comes from, you know, where it all began, it was just a really special feeling. I've got this connection now to where I come from even more than I did before. At the competition's best, it encourages a kind of internationalism. You know, the influences come from so many different places. I just had to ask because I was listening to Electrify. There's like a Spanish section in it, yeah. right? Yeah. What was that decision? Have you always sort of thought of yourself as like an international artist who wants to like reach lots of different people even before all the Eurovision stuff? I just felt like, why not? You know, I really didn't overthink it too much. I do feel that one of my long life dreams is to be able to do like a world tour one day and each country that I visit be able to sing one song in their language. That's why 
I learned Molitva, which was in Serbian, when Maria won in 2007. I love that song. And no, I don't speak a word of Serbian, but I really put my head down and I tried my absolute best to, to get the dialect right and sing the song the way it should be. I love listening to music from all around the world. Travelling as well makes you see that on a different level. Right now I'm sitting in Corfu in Greece. You're seeing elements of Italy here. Eurovision is the ultimate place where that all com combines. Can you talk a little bit about Break a Broken Heart? What was it about the song that spoke to you and how does it compare to Electrify as a potential Eurovision entry? When we were going through the process of finding a song, I was listening to many, many, many songs. And when I first heard Break a Broken Heart, I thought to myself, okay, wow, huge vocal, a lot of pressure to put on myself, but it is powerful. I could just imagine that song on a Eurovision stage with this huge stage production and I accepted the challenge and I worked for seven months to be able to sing that song with ease because I can tell you that I could not sing that song with ease at the beginning, but <laughs> I worked very hard. So they came to you to participate and then they gave you like a, a bunch of songs to listen to for you to pick? Is that how the process was? Yeah, so they really believed in me representing Cyprus. And they basically said, we don't have the song chosen yet, but we want you to do it. So I accepted that, of course. And then it was time to find songs. And again, the team did such a great job with all the connections they have and the relationships that they have to find songs and source songs and then it was Break a Broken Heart that caught the attention of myself the most. And then next thing you know, I was off to Sweden to record it. And as I mentioned, it was something that was vocally a lot harder than Electrify. And honestly, there, there were moments all the way in Australia where I was practicing too much. My family had to tell me to take a break. There were moments where I would like just get up and sing at like one o'clock in the morning in my car, start practicing just nonstop, really. And then I started to work out a balance between resting my voice and practicing. I got to a point where I was really confident. And I think that is the main thing for me. If you walk onto the stage doubting your abilities, then you're going to have some problems. But if you walk onto the stage knowing that you can do this a million times over, what's the difference? The staging it was very clean and simple. And I think often in Eurovision, there's a temptation to go very big. And related to the build of the song. And by the end of the song, you have this surrounded by fire and all the passion is coming out. And we didn't want to go too crazy. It was just me on stage, just me doing my thing. Originally, we had this fire at the back of the stage that was on like this big box, but it just wasn't enough for us. So that's when we went with the big flames that was around the circle. Coming out of Eurovision, like one thing I've heard you say in interviews is it has opened you to this new audience, right? Is there a different vibe to the Eurovision audience or a European audience as opposed to an Australian audience? Yeah, there is for sure. With Eurovision, you're exposed to all these different genres, all these different people, and you're also exposed to the beautiful fans of Eurovision, which are very dedicated. And you have this fan base that sticks by you after. And, you know, there is a difference between different countries, but my goal always is to reach as many people as I possibly can and to try and perform all around the world. I even feel that holidaying around Greece at the moment, you know, so many people have come up and said so many beautiful things. And it's quite shocking to me. That's amazing. Wrapping up, are there ways that 
participating in Eurovision has changed you as an artist, do you think? Eurovision really has made me understand that this is exactly what I was meant to do in life. I've always felt it, but now that I've been able to show myself that I could do it on a scale that large, it's almost like this giant weight off my shoulders. Like, I can't wait to step on another stage. So... I'm very grateful for Eurovision. Amazing, amazing. All right, thank you so much, Take Andrew. This was, this was really wonderful, and we hope to see you when you play the U.S. I shall see you there. I'll let you know that yes. I'm coming. Euroverse. There's a ton of variation in how countries choose their Eurovision entries. The rules governing who can participate, the transparency of the process, and even the amount of corruption involved varies wildly. These selection processes can be highly controversial. In the most dire cases, a country's broadcaster has had to change course and replace their act entirely. So we're going to examine these controversies and discuss whether these countries' final answer as to who they sent to the big contest was right in the end. It's a game we're calling National Not Quite Final Answer. And to help us sort through all of this, we are joined by the amazing Troy Awada. You may have seen Troy's work in shows like We Crash, Dash and Lily, uh, movies like Summoning Sylvia, and most recently as a correspondent on The Daily Show. So Troy, we always like to ask our American guests, what is your relationship to Eurovision? My first relationship was actually thanks to you. We were hanging out and you were just like, oh, you haven't seen Eurovision. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you listening, Magnus did not just say that. That was actually actually, (laughs) me. Give it to us one more time. Oh, you haven't seen Eurovision? (laughs) Incredible. And then the only other thing is the Eurovision movie, which I'm sure everyone talks about. When the movie came out, everyone was like, they would have never won with a ballot. Well, they didn't win. But I was going to say emotionally they won. Yeah. They realized that what's important is not who wins, but who civic? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You tried. Period. Yes. <laughs> All right. But that's it. That's my extent of the knowledge. I think that pod. makes you actually one of the more knowledgeable about Eurovision yeah. guests that we have had for really? this segment. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people know it exists. Yeah. Oh, Again. and Celine Dion came from there. And so yes. did ABBA. Oh, my wow. God. Wow. You want to take over the podcast, Troy? Yeah. Celine Dion and ABBA. Eurovision. Eurovision. (laughs) (laughs) To get to this game, we are going to play you two clips per round. Okay. And they're both performers who got close to performing at Eurovision. Only one of them made it to the big stage. So we want you to guess which one made it, and we'll sort of talk about why those decisions were made and whether we agree. Okay. Before we begin, can you say processes again? Processes. Okay. I have so many weird... like No, it's classy. So did you say Reese's Pieces? Maybe now I do. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so whether or not my pronunciation makes sense to you, Troy, do the rules of the game make sense to yes. you? Yes. Ah, amazing. Uh, first up is Belarus in 2012. It's just number one on the list. Yeah, just yeah. number one. We're going to go to two next and then continue on in chronological oh, order. Oh, wow. You know? Okay. Well, you've it's one of, of those processes that yeah, I... Yeah, one uh, of the... Pro- <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. (laughs) There's nothing sexier than a beautiful woman dressed slutty playing an electric viola. (laughs) (laughs) She's very talented. I think she has a big career ahead of her. Okay, well, we're about to find out. Now you can move to uh, video number, number two, two, which is Light Sound 
We Are the Heroes. This the same year? They competed uh, in the same competition. In, in only one of them made it. I like how the chorus is just like, we are the heroes, and they look like like a pit crew who came yeah. in and saved the day. <laughs> Although, I don't know that I would trust any of those guys to, like, save me from anything. No, there's too much product in there. Yeah, hair. a lot of product. You have two songs yeah. that competed in 2012 to represent Belarus. Yeah. Which one ended up representing Belarus that year? I feel like there's probably some political answer right always the fact that the men are singing we are the heroes oh that's a great angle like we need to come through the gate and i mean that is very much the sort of ideology of the belarusian administration so so i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with Belarus lit a sound um (laughs) yes so we are the heroes by light sound did go to eurovision that year Ah! alonia's song actually was the one that won the national final Uh and was selected. And then it became clear that she had rigged the vote. (gasps) To the point where Belarusian president, uh, Alexander Lukashenko, actually opened up an investigation into it. So there wasn't a lot going on in Belarus that year. (laughs) He's got also very particular interests, (laughs) (laughs) like taking care of his people, not one of them. So next we are going to go to Poland in 2023. The first song we're going to hear from the national finals is a song called Solo by the performer Blanca. So it's weird to see No, but it's solo, solo Oh, cute. I like the first frame. <laughs> yeah, no, it's basic. <laughs> there are certain times where I feel like the aesthetic and the spectacle takes precedent over the talent, but at the expense of the artist. They put her in this high pony and this tiny outfit and these heels making her dance everywhere. She was clearly out of breath, but I don't blame her. Yeah. Because they were making her do a lot of stuff. Yeah. And in the end, they shoot fire at her. Yeah. That's mean. Things are rough in Poland. <laughs> they don't, They're cold there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it was a relief. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So next, we have Jan with Gladiator. Okay. Grungy. That's a man. <laughs> that is a man. <laughs> I mean, however they identify. That's a really beautiful person with a yeah. penis. No, exactly. <laughs> it was giving a mixture of like Shelley Duvall and like... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's <laughs> this first frame is if Shelly Duvall went punk did you see when that was like a big trend on social media hi I'm Shelly Duvall yes no all the kids they would just be like hi I'm Shelly Duvall and like none of them knew who she is that kind of love it about Gen Z but they really are into grabbing and decontextualizing like old pieces of pop culture mm-hmm. like all these like prep kids who are wearing Nirvana shirts because yeah. they've now decided that Nirvana means well, prep. Like, and, and preppy, de- sorry. I saw the confusion <laughs> on your face when I said Nirvana means prep. I was and like, I, was like I, I have to go to my doctor and renew my Nirvana. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also like in their defense, I feel like humans have just done that forever. Carrie Underwood did a commercial and it wasn't I'm until on the edge of my seat. It wasn't until the end of the commercial that yeah. I realized it wasn't Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> They just did her hair in a way and her makeup and her outfit. <laughs> Didn't Meryl Streep just do that in a movie where you were like, who is this person? Who is this J-Lo. person? Oh my God, it's J-Lo. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
I couldn't believe like what an amazing portrayal J Lo did of Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> and then I was like, wait a minute, that's Shelley Duvall. <laughs> 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 oh, we have fun uh, here at the pod. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. You haven't watched yet. Muscle never take it. Don't put it to where it is. Not true. Whatever you tell yourself, it's not true. Power is what I make it. Takes his life. It's any bit. I'm picking your new favorite. You buy it and I savor it. 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 Buy it and I savor it. You buy it and I savor it. What an interesting individual. <laughs> no, I love it. If anyone ever talked about me that way, I would not assume that they like me. <laughs> no, what I actually meant it as a compliment. <laughs> the whole time I was watching it, I was just like, who was this person in high school? When people have such a distinct image and yeah, you know they themselves. went through some shit. I like the idea that they were the polar opposite in high school, and every one of their peers is watching it. Like, is that Jan? Yeah, because <laughs> oh Jan, Jan in high school, I'm pretty sure was dressed like Blanca. Yeah. <laughs> you watched Solo. You watched Gladiator. Only one of them ended up representing Poland. What are your thoughts? I think that Gladiator was more interesting than Solo, but only just because I've seen Solo so many times in the sense of like... It's a very straightforward... The aesthetic was very... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So honestly, because of that, I have a feeling that Solo made it. (laughs) You are 100% correct. Yeah. There was a tremendous amount of controversy over this because, you know, Jan definitely has a bit of a queer aesthetic. And Poland's government was a pretty right-wing regime that had sort of transform the national broadcaster into a propaganda outlet. Oh, okay. So, so in translation, it means that they were turned on by Jan and it scared and them. They were let, scared by their own erections. I know. But basically the controversy was around this idea that Jan was not so favored by the broadcaster. Okay. Yeah. The televote was very much in favor of Jan. A lot of the anger ended up being projected onto Blanca. That's not fair. Yeah. It's always the women who get the yeah, worst. It's not that Blanca had such a glow up on that performance. Yeah. Uh, well, once you got to Eurovision and the, yeah. the, the dance moves like sharp. Yeah, like it became she, a hit at Eurovision, yeah. which to Troy's point, the problem was exactly what you said it was. The choreography and production was like not designed to showcase her. Next up is Spain's 2017 national final. Okay. So the first one you're going to listen to is Manel, Do It For Your Lover. <gasps> you have to. This is the rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. are the rules of lovers. <laughs> what every best friend in every rom-com has ever said. Do it for your you lover. You have to do it for your lover. Yeah. 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 yeah you, th- th- these people need new friends. The amount of times Margaret Cho has said that in a movie. <laughs> do you think at this point she just has a pre-recorded clip that she licenses yeah, she's out? Yeah, like, here. <laughs> yeah. Do it for your lover. Do it for your lover, baby. Clap your hands and not what I thought this was going to look no. like. Yeah. It's, it's very uh, it's very hipster, very indie. It looks like he's standing in front of a Polaroid. That's it, what I love about art. It's unexpected. Yeah. Well, it's it's actually like there are very few stage performances that are essentially like sitting down and watching someone's vacation uh, slides. This could be Timothy Chalamet. We would have no idea. <laughs> Call me crazy, but I don't really have a positive reaction to just seeing a bunch of like youth pastors on a stage. <laughs> taking a lot of what seems like Jamaican influence into yeah, their music. Yeah. That guy on the keyboard had, literally was using one finger, but yeah, was yeah. bouncing with the passion well, that he, he was. Well, he found the best he note. He found the best note, <laughs> so he should be very proud of himself. I don't have the strongest connection to this song. It doesn't describe your experience? 
No, I don't do a lot for my lover. Yeah. So next up, you have Mirella with Contigo. Okay, I already love it. Yeah. And because of that, I know that this one didn't make it. Oh, there's a story. <laughs> what is She's in love with this man. Her friends are supportive of it. Oh, they found a field to lie down in. It's a beach, JK. Because this was so much better, <laughs> I know that this one didn't make it. <laughs> that is 100% correct. The jury's absolutely loved Do It For Your Lover. And he was like way down at the bottom televote wise. And so the juries elevated him to be the winner. And it was considered such a scandal that actually on the live broadcast, the entire audience started booing the selection. <gasps> I know. How's that for some juicy drama? Oh, no. How did I Manel know. handle it? I think he handled it not well. Oh, okay. <laughs> Manel Let's... has become iconic. Oh, okay. I, I, well, in oh, what yes. sense? The voice crack. Yes. Yeah, not, not, not for a reason that he wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but if no. someone was going to pick the most iconic voice crack in Eurovision history, it is Manel. The point is to be remembered. For what? You don't have control over it. Exactly. I know, but he's a man and men don't like to be embarrassed. They get I mad. I know. Oh, well, that's they get true. <laughs> we should be talking about Mirella. Like she it. was fantastic. That Stage song, presence, yes. beauty, talent. There was story. She's an actress. Her vowel placement was beautiful. Yes. Well, unfortunately, vowel placement was probably not one of, of the, the criteria that the uh, jury was using. <laughs> but I don't know. For the next one, mm -hmm. Troy, we are staying with Spain. But we are moving to 2022. So first up, you have Chanel with the song Slow Mo. Now, you've probably explained this to me before. But most of these songs are in English. There was, at a period of time, a requirement to sing in their national language. That requirement hasn't been around since the 90s. And just to appeal um, to the masses, they like to do it. Even artists in Norway who are not necessarily trying to have an international career yeah. still write in English. Yeah, it's, it's a marketing thing. It's the same yeah. with like why they sing English in a lot of K-pop songs. Right. No, 100%. Yeah. A lot of it is, wait, here's your big opportunity in front of 180 million people and you want them to vote for you. Probably the pressure is to sing in a language that you know, sure, most sure, of the sure. televoters understand. Yeah. Ooh, colorful. Okay. <laughs> she took her shirt off. Not, not really, just her jacket. <laughs> She's a dancer. Oh my God. <gasps> that was amazing. I will say watching your face during that was great because yeah. I feel like Chanel does to you what gay people does to a straight woman in a gay bar. You know, oh, just like the surprise. No, 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 because the <laughs> amount of times I've seen when like gay people do like, a really gay move on the dance floor and yeah, there'll yeah, be like yeah. a straight girl going, I, I never would have thought of that. <laughs> oh my God. They're so free. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we we're have, still in Spain. Okay. Uh, Tan Shugueras with Terra. My favorite thing about trios of women is there's always two of them who you know are better friends than, and then there's the third. Oh, <laughs> because oh, you can see when break. they're singing, there's two of them that look at each other way more, and the yeah. third one is like, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, these two men dancing in skirts, it just reminds me of like me and my brother would dance to like classical music on our fireplace and we put like t shirts on our heads and around our waist. Who as we... far as like interesting goes, Thera, I was more entertained by the first one. This is hard because I think both actually are equally strong. I'm going to say Thera went through. No, I got it wrong. Yeah. It, first it, wrong. It, first it was, wrong. It was slow-mo. But I was actually so surprised by this because you look at slow-mo and it's kind of like, this is entertainment. This yeah. is so engaging. She's a great dancer. It's like a poppy song. That was the jury favorite. And the people wanted Tara. The morning after Chanel was selected, this, the Spanish broadsheet? Yeah. It's a broadsheet newspaper. Or it's a misogynistic sheet for women. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Toots, come over here. Yeah, yeah. The morning after Chanel was selected, Spanish newspaper El Mundo ran an editorial with the headline, Chanel at Eurovision. What a mistake. What a huge mistake. Oh, no. People who are Eurovision fans to the point that they're watching a national final tend to like things that are culturally embedded in their own country, right? Terra is a song in Galician. Chanel is not from Spain, so that oh, might be part of it. where's she from? She's from South America. There is this element of this act is representing our country. The thing about Chanel, too, is the fact that she did extremely well at Eurovision. She came in third place. Oh. If the 2023 rules had been in place yeah. for 2022, she would have been in second place. So a six jury votes were thrown out because oh. of colluding jury votes. Oh my God. Between countries. The rule in 2022 was that if a jury vote got thrown out, they would use like a computer generated thing where they would go based on countries that vote similarly to this country in the past. Complicated. It is very complicated. In 2023, they changed that if a jury vote gets thrown out, they double the televote for that country instead. Chanel at Eurovision, the, you know, international competition, was a televote favorite and not a jury favorite. Well, because then other countries get their say. Exactly. It feels like actually the way primaries work, in the primary, you're having the most, like, passionate people vote. Yes. So they <laughs> choose the real extremes. And then it's like, most people are just like, eh, I want, like, kind of a middle, boring person. A lot of national finals have started adding in international juries because what our country will pick might not be something that a broader audience will love. When you nominate a song, is the point of it representing your country, your culture, the tastes of your people at the time? Or is it just purely competition? It's understandable, but it's also sad. You would yeah. hope that the point of this whole thing is to like, we get to learn about what other countries like. This is why I've had such a good time with this podcast is it's like, no matter what topic we talk about with Eurovision, it always comes back to the same thing, which is like, what is Eurovision? Is Eurovision a cultural event sponsored by public broadcasters or is it like American Idol on steroids? You right. know, right. it kind of goes back both. and forth. Uh, this is uh, Ukraine's 2022 national finals. First, we're going to watch Alina Posh, Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors. Okay. Would have written the divine tragedy, but we need Picasso's doll. It's the divine strategy. And my childhood girls played with toy dolls, but I wrote these words here because my favorite toy was a book of Shakespeare. Just like the brothers scream, I leave behind a piece of me. Remember your ancestors, the write your own history. Love the color palette. Absolutely. 
Very theatrical. I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I also love when people can do that sort of cry yodel. And this is at the preliminaries or like a national final. Vin- I want to yeah. hold off my thoughts until I watch the second one. That's very smart, Troy. You're getting really good at this game. Thank you so much. I just want to <laughs> be fair to everybody. Well, now you're going to move to Kalush Orchestra, Stefania. This aesthetic is Godspell, as well as just like the traveling acting troupe in Midsummer Night's Dream. That's the theater piece we need to do. Yeah. <laughs> the college orchestra plays the mechanicals. <laughs> Constructa is Hermia. It like cut to a clip of one of the judges and she like knew the words. Is that not weird? Uh, so that was Jamala featured on the podcast. These songs get released. For people beyond the country to listen to these songs, you have to be really, really interested. I didn't know if like what they were singing was like a traditional song that they like. Oh, no, no. So all songs in Eurovision have to be new. Okay. The first one was clearly more of a political and heartfelt message. And this one seems a little bit more celebratory. You know how sometimes on RuPaul's Drag Race, there's always a queen who does somewhat of a preaching to the choir PSA about queer people and the queer community. And you're watching it like, this is fine. Wrong audience. Yeah. You're in a drag competition. It's like, drag is valid. Yeah. You're like, oh, now it's not the first time I'm considering it might not be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's not it. And therefore, it's actually going to be translated as a poor performance. And I'm wondering if this is a situation where the first one, because they were performing it to their own country. They're kind of like, we already know. I think they picked the second one. That is correct. Yeah. The the reasoning behind is a little complicated. Yes. Alina Posh won the national final. And then it came out that in 2014, 2015... She smoked pot. I... <laughs> <laughs> and she uh, inhaled. And unfortunately... And she inhaled. <laughs> but no, so she visited Crimea in the aftermath of Russia's invasion. And so this is illegally annexed territory. It is against Ukrainian law. Then Kalu's Orchestra went on to win the whole competition. There was a lot of sympathy in Europe. Like, of course, there's always going to be a debate. Some people like, oh, was it a sympathy win? Relevance matters. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right, right. With art. I I feel like the song is a bit of a banger, though. I I do like like, And it's it's ignorant to think that they're mutually exclusive. Exactly. Yes. Right. A hundred percent. It's like, of course they are. That's the the reason that art affects us. (laughs) Time is a huge factor. It's like, I think is one of the cool things about Eurovision. It's impossible to ignore the politics of the music because the music comes representing different countries. But the the question is post-game. Yeah. Like, What have you learned? I was ignorant of how political this competition is, which is actually dumb because everything has like a political take in our society now. But not dumb at all because the the organization does advertise itself as not not political. Troy, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much to both Andrew and Troy for being with us on the podcast today. Um, Now, next week, we're continuing what we talked about today, where now we've gotten you through the national selections. You've now been picked for Eurovision, uh, but there's still a road left to get to the grand final. The other thing that makes this a second part to the episode you just listened to is, surprise, surprise, this is less about, oh, what Eurovision Act is going to win, and much more about how the EBU, how nations use Eurovision songs to um, advance their politics. I'm very, very excited about the guests that we have for this upcoming episode. First, there's Sally Ann Triplett, who represented the UK not once, but twice. And the UK, this was not the case when 
Sally Ann represented the country, is one of the big five countries, which we're going to talk about. But any country in the big five gets to skip the semifinals and go straight to the finale. And there's one other way you can skip the semifinals, and it's by being the reigning champ or host nation. Now, Torchy represented Ukraine in 2023 and got to skip the semifinals and had a very interesting road to being selected in the middle of a war. And then Josh Keating, who is a senior foreign policy correspondent for Vox.com, is going to stop by. And we are going to play a game with him uh, that you will absolutely not want to miss. So we hope you're enjoying national selection season, even though there's been some frustrating moments. Oh my God, MGP round two. (laughs) I know. Not happy. But in the meantime, you're going to get more national selections for this year's Eurovision. But until then... Happy Happy Eurovision. Eurovision.